Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors. Take a walk and make a podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And as seems frequent lately, it, we're the title to this podcast is a lie because we did not take a walk, and it wasn't because we were running. But we, we had just, coffee. We did have coffee, but this is not called Two Pastors. Two drink Pastors coffee. drink make coffee. A podcast. Maybe we should have called it that, but we didn't. Um, so our awkwardly. Um, untruthfully named podcast. We're we are happy to be back because we have been um, on a break for yes. two weeks. Has it been two weeks? I think, it... Yeah, two, and it feels like longer. And some of that is good, and some of it is bad. Wow. But I was out for a week, and then you were out for a week, and so oh, that's right. Yeah. Here we are. So it's exciting. What is astonishing you? Well, you know, we have this segment, this part of our conversation, um, to highlight what. God is doing in our Mm -hmm. lives and to pay attention to that and be intentional about paying attention to that. And most of the time we focus on things that are going on in our own lives or in the life of the church. Um, But I'm astonished by something that's happening on the continent of Africa that I want to um, uh, really highlight today. Uh, And and I've mentioned this guy before. Uh, He's a YouTuber by the name of Wodamaya. Uh, he is my favorite YouTuber. I watch his videos all the time. Uh, Wodemaya is not his his birth name. As a matter of fact, I think it may be a Mandarin um, phrase for I am my mother. Wodemaya hmm. um, grew up in a village in Ghana in West Africa. And after he left high school, I think he was promised a scholarship at a university in Britain somewhere. And he got there, and it was a mistake. They did not have a scholarship for him. And then someone said, hey, but I heard about a scholarship at a university in China. So he got on a plane, went to China, learned the language, and years later graduated with a degree in um, aeronautical, aerospace, engineering, something like that. Hmm. So he starts to live and work in China, and he builds these relationships, and people ask him questions like, back in Africa, did you live in a grass hut? Mm -hmm. Did you have a pet lion? Did you see (laughs) giraffes all the time? And he was was amazed. Like, what do you people think Africa is? Like, no, we have cities. We have institutions. We have universities and Mm -hmm. hospitals and churches Uh, and so he decided to go back to his home Ghana and he started this YouTube channel just showing his home country just showing the capital city Accra and then he began traveling across the continent and his mission has been to um in his words, show show the real Africa, show the Africa that mm-hmm. people don't see. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, you know, I can remember, you know, growing up in the eighties, and all I saw were images of children with swollen bellies right. needing food, or images of war. And his mission has been to show another side. And just a couple of weeks ago, he was on the cover of Forbes Africa. And uh, he is, he's the first African YouTuber to hit a million subscribers. And since he's started his work, there's been this generation of young YouTubers who are 
travel vloggers, lifestyle vloggers, um, or people just showing their everyday lives, putting it on YouTube, and there are lots of Americans, especially African Americans like me, who are consuming this and just getting a whole new vision of Africa and Africans. And it is amazing to see. It's like this window into mm -hmm. the continent has been created. Not only that, there seems to be this generation that is having a conversation about um, cooperation among African nations. Because right? when mm -hmm. we think of when we say Africa, we, we don't realize there are 50-something countries, and um, we, we lump them all together, but they are very distinct mm -hmm. languages and cultures. And so something is happening there on the continent. I think something very positive, something that, um, well, I think within my child's lifetime, we will see a renewal, a flourishing on that continent. I heard someone say once that before China became an economic power, people, Ch Chinese in the, the Chinese diaspora were not respected. Mm -hmm. And someone said um, the reason Africans, African-Americans, African-British, uh, Caribbean Africans are not respected is because there is not a country on the continent that is held in high esteem. Like our last president called every country on the continent as whole countries, yeah. right? Um, and so it seems that what's happening is that there is this renewal. Something is emerging on the, on, the, on the continent that is really exciting. If you look at countries like Ghana, if you look at Nigeria, if you look at Kenya, something is happening and so I'm just astonished by that and amazed by that and I hope that I live long enough to see a real renewal on that continent I think it's so interesting like to use a word like renewal um and and particularly in the context of th th your statement which I don't disagree with that no country on the continent of Africa is held in high esteem and I think that is true and also just a very loaded statement because I think, and I, I mean, I find myself saying this a lot to myself, that you can't expect to be valued by a system that you don't share values with, right? So if you are sort of waiting for the approval or validation of people in certain kinds of institutions or in certain cultures that you explicitly think that the defining driving values in these cultures are unhealthy, then those cultures are never going to be able to validate you because you, because you don't share values. Right. And so I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, those na nations in Africa not being held in esteem. And I know what you mean, right. There are um, nations and, and really more and more people in certain nations who hold a lot of power and those powerful people do not esteem um, any particular nation in Africa for lots of reasons, because there's not shared value, um, because there is, you know, there are real challenges, and because it suits the status quo to see those nations as underdeveloped or undeveloped, because then it means that you can continue to be justified not 
listening or being responsive um, to to people in those nations. So I think, I mean, it's just a really interesting thing because I'm not trying to um, be a, you know, romanticizer naive about the real challenges and disparities that exist in things like access to healthcare and education and safety um, and that those exist. And they certainly don't exist because of the savageness of people who live in the, in, on the continent of Africa. Those disparities in large part exists because of the savageness of people who live in the quote developed quote civilized nations in, in, um, like, for example, I was reading an article recently about Haiti, and they were just pointing out that the nation of Haiti, and we talked about it on this podcast, mm-hmm. still is indebted to the nation of France mm-hmm. to this day, is making payments to the nation of France to compensate them for the loss of their property, right? Incredible. So. And and so the idea that we see this, like we look at Haiti, Haiti and go like, well, that's an undeveloped country. I obviously understand that Haiti is not on the continent of Africa, to be clear. Um, but that, you know, we look at some of these nations that have huge amounts of debt in the IMF, International Monetary Fund, and this keeps, you know, this, this keeps them at a particular economic posture towards the developed world. And so I'm just thinking like, we've been taught that things are intrinsically so, that cultures that developed on the continent of Africa are intrinsically more blank than cultures that developed on the continent of Europe. And you can fill in that blank with like violent or primitive or savage. And the reality is a lot of times we don't look at how certain things um, have happened there because of the presence of colonizers and then also just how some of the ways that we perceive and label intelligence or sophistication or, um, you know, wisdom are just their culturally conditioned um, values. So I just think, I think it's really interesting. I mean, what I hope is happening in our lifetime is people all over the globe recognizing some of the constructs of colonialism and questioning them and dismantling them so that there's more flourishing everywhere. Um, But I, I do think it's really interesting to sort of anticipate that some people who have previously not held in esteem the peoples and cultures of African nations are going to somehow shift. I don't know that that's necessarily a reasonable expectation considering that that shift would require a lot of self-interrogation of your own culture and yes and i think that the shift is happening at least right now primarily on the continent and in the diaspora um, yes yeah because we are seeing images uh, we're seeing the continent in a way that we have not seen it before. Right, because it hasn't been controlled by... Yes. yeah. And I, these YouTubers, yeah. they're just showing us their lives. This is where I live. Right. This is where I go to work. This is how I get to work. This is this is my neighborhood. These are my neighbors. And especially when I watch um, West African YouTubers, uh, places like you know the Gambia, I see people that look like my relatives. I'm like, right. I could be from there. And and that's a that's a big deal, especially for African-Americans who have this deep um, 
wound of being uprooted and disconnected. Right. And then, you know, when 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 the president of Ghana says to uh, the leader of Switzerland, um, yeah. we're not going to sell you or give yeah. you or whatever yeah. the raw materials to make chocolate. We'll make our own chocolate. Thank you very much. That's a big deal. That's a that's a shift. Right. That is. And huge. that is a huge dismantling of colonial. Yes. World. I mean, what I think is interesting about it, too, just listening to you talk and just thinking about to see Africa through the African gaze, right? Like not through the gaze of Europeans or Americans or, you know, white folks, but Africans in the eyes of Africa in the eyes of Africans. Um, Because I know obviously in what we've just been talking about that obviously the continent, the entire continent of Africa has been shaped tremendously by forces of colonialism. So that is a real thing. And white supremacy obviously has had a huge force um, there in the shape of how people live and think and have thrived. And and what I think is different is that for, for people, because people who live in, um, in Ghana do not have to live their daily lives um, through thinking about, you know, the white gaze and how white people think about them and how, you know, they don't, when they are in a situation, they don't daily have to navigate Am I being treated in this way because the person of a different ethnicity thinks that I'm whatever, fill in the blank, um, that there's a level of just peace and freedom there. And I think for me, it makes me, and I think this is generative, imagine, you know, what would it be like to live here, not in a homogenous community, but in a community where there really had been deep healing and reconciliation so that everyone who cared about that wasn't constantly carrying the mental burden of trying to just navigate that deep, that deep wound that, I mean, there are some people, I mean, I think as a white person, you can choose whether you care about that or not. So if you don't care about it, you don't have to. Um, But people of color can't choose whether or not to care about it. And white people can either say, this matters to me and I want to be part of healing and flourishing and reconciliation. And so how do I sort of, how do I develop a double consciousness all the time to be able to say, you know, what are my assumptions? What are my biases? What are my, what's my intent, but what might my impact be? Am, Am I listening to someone? Am I just hearing what I expect or am I really listening? And when something when I don't quite understand something, am I just dismissing it and thinking, oh, I basically get it? Or am I curiously and non-defensively just because I really want to know and the person I'm listening to would be doing me a favor if they told me, am I asking questions like, I'm not sure I understand this. Can I, can I clarify what I heard you say? Or can you help me understand this? Or would you mind? Or, you know, I'm going to actually maybe not talk to the person I'm in the conversation with, but like go home and, consult Dr. Google and check out a book or do, you know, like, um, I think it, I'm happy to do that work and it is work. And I mean, we were just talking earlier off, off mic about some ways that just in life in the past week, there've just been some spaces of, um, whatever disconnection, rejection that just have everything to do with these like deep wounds racial wounds here and it 
it is. And so I accept it and I want to overcome it. But what must it be like? Like what, how wonderful would it be if there were real healing here? And so we were still doing some of the systemic work or maybe not, but, but, you know, there was trust, there was authentic, like people really could have a default of trust for one another because real deep healing and reconciliation had happened and what kind of freedom and flourishing would that feel like? And I just think it's important to imagine that because if you can't imagine it, then you can't work for it. Yeah. And one of the needs um, for African-Americans is a need for healing answer the to answer the question are we home or not are we yeah. are we at home in this space because one of the things that is astonishing sometimes frustrating for us is to see um, Nigerians Ghanaians um, folks from the Gambia come to this country as immigrants and really do well Right. And so it is a reminder that there is something in us that needs to be healed because we can be so conscious of the white gaze and so conscious of what we have been through as a people that it can it can be this weight that keeps us from um, living in the fullness of what God has for us because we're just constantly battling um, systems and and, and we notice that people from the continent come um, knowing that they, they have a home, they have a place where they're from. And so even though they encounter some of these same systems, they're not, um, I, I don't want to say they're not as affected, but the, but the emotional, psychological toll that it takes is, is, less. is different. Yeah. Well, I would think that, I mean, that would make sense to me just off the top of my head listening, because if you've come from a place where your blackness is not a deficit, is not a crime or whatever, then obviously it's unpleasant to encounter it and deeply painful, but you just ontologically, fundamentally know it's untrue. But if you've never lived in a place where your blackness is anything other than a liability or a threat or a suspicion, you've never just been able to like accept and relax in in your true identity um it's never you've never lived in a place that says you are a son or a daughter of this nation and you are you know like that you don't that's just a, a level of vulnerability that remains when you hear these sorts of things like even though you know with your soul and with your head and your heart that 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 that's a lie and it's painful there's just part of you who's never been able to live in the truth and that's hard when i was um on vacation last week visiting my parents in Atlanta, my dad and I uh, sat in the living room and, um, you know, through their smart TV, watched some of these YouTube um, uh, channels. And we especially watched uh, these YouTubers, uh, many of them uh, do just real estate tours. Mm -hmm. Hey, these are the homes that are available in mm -hmm. my town, in my city. And perhaps we should not have been. Um, because if, if someone had said to us, yeah, Africans just live in huts, and we, we would have been offended, but we did not have right. an image to replace that with. And so we're watching these videos, just both kind of astonished that uh, these YouTubers, these young people are giving tours of homes, you know, with, you know, um, 
kids riding their bicycles in the, in the street and um, playgrounds and uh, homes that uh, look like the homes that we live in. Right. right? That, 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 is, that is normal. That's right. normal for them. And so it's like, oh, um, what is possible for us? The messages that we've been given, what's possible for us, what's normal for us, it's really, there, there's so many lies that we ingest without realizing it. Right. And I think like part of that and it's just inevitable is that, you know, media and this I don't mean this pejoratively, but media has a negative bias, right? So like And it's very limited. Well, I don't I just mean even like I mean, like for instance, when I've been talking with my kids about or for years we've they listen to the news with me and so they hear stories about police brutality and my middle daughter will sometimes say, like, how come they don't tell any stories about cops doing good things? And I'm like, that's a great question. It's not because police officers never do anything good. It's because that's the default, right? So if a day ever comes where we have to say, today, a police officer, you know, did not shoot an unarmed black person, like if that ever becomes news, we're in real big trouble, right? So I think this idea of like when we in America hear any kind of story about anything that's happening on the continent of Africa, it will probably be bad news because that's what there's a market for and because you can't you can't do a story in America that says, hey, in Nigeria, a thousand kids graduated from high school in this province today. Yes, but for example, when we say there is civil war in, let's say, Ethiopia, in a Western mind, it's happening everywhere, everywhere. on the continent. But when it comes to Europe, we're very specific. This war is in the Ukraine. Right. And, right? And so we know that people in Paris and London are chilling out because we, we don't see it as the whole Monolithic, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, like, obviously, in people are following Ukraine a lot. And I do think that's because the people being killed do look like the majority of the both. Well, I'm sorry. The people killing and being killed mm -hmm look like the people in the majority in this country. And so people just put themselves in that mentally can put themselves, white people can put themselves in that space. And so, but we not only know that it's just happening in Ukraine, but like people, lots of people I know can tell you exactly like, oh, it's happening in Kirkuk right now, or, you know, it's by the, um, by the seaport right now and not there or that, I mean, you know, like we're, we're following it very closely. So I, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really it's really helpful to be able to know and I don't want to I don't want to dog on the news media because obviously in a fractured media landscape if you're going to cover it's just hard like you can't tell everyone everything that is important so you have to make choices and I do think the suffering of people should take priority um but but it does make you realize that we just don't I mean it it it's why it's nice that we have streaming platforms so we can see that or you can see movies about, you know, life in Ghana and it's, you know, a love story because people fall in love all over the world or it's a whatever, you know, a story of family drama or whatever just to know that like, hey, we're all human and it looks different, but there really are universal themes. Yes, and I think that's that's the beautiful thing about this particular platform and I guess any social media platform is that you know there of course there's there's some stuff that is negative and awful and 
uh, that, that gets put on social media. But then there are these just everyday beautiful stories and images. And uh, if you want to find them, you, you can. can find them. Right. Because it's exciting that there's no gatekeeper, yeah. really, that anybody can publish anything they want. And, and that's really a cool thing. Yeah. So and it I mean, it reminds me of a little bit of the kind of reason that I think you and I both unashamedly really like Survivor because it's really um, deeply, I don't know, interesting and fascinating and moving to me to see people with really different contexts come together and have a shared experience and to see the way that shared experience reveals really universal struggles. And that to me is just really I mean, I know it sounds crazy to say, but it's really hopeful. Like, it's really hopeful for me to see that. And there's foolishness and silliness, too. But it's just nice to see that um, that people can make those kinds of connections. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway. So, what's astonishing you? Um, well, just really quickly, we had one of my favorite Sundays of the year at the Grove this past Sunday. And I know I say it a lot, like it's kind of a joke in the congregation that I'll be writing the like newsletter blurb on a Friday and I'll be like, this Sunday is the best Sunday of the year. <laughs> like, yeah, you said that before. You but said that last week. I say it a lot. But um, this Sunday is we had the blessing of the backpacks. And so I love that. I love just... Um, I mean, I love just acknowledging that huge transition point. I think that education, I mean, we, we call Jesus the word and obviously um, the revelation of scripture is not, you know, the Bible is not God, but the Bible is this beautiful gift that we've been given and to know God as a pathway to knowing God. And so it, we're just a, a big um, education, I think is, is really important to people who follow Jesus in period. And so being able to celebrate that with people is really important and being able to meet children and youth and teachers and just lift up the sanctity of that work. Because so often, I mean, to our earlier conversation, if you hear about schools, it's usually something bad. <laughs> and so being able to say like, no, this is a gift and this is good. And um, I love it. I just love it. And I love it because um, people really want to be there which lets me know that how meaningful it is um so that's really beautiful and this particular sunday um there are some things that happened on sunday that i love it when something happens in worship and i didn't i didn't know it was happening like i didn't know it was going to happen because somebody has a ministry area and they're just doing their thing and and it's all in line and it's all beautiful and it's just like i love that because i it just deeply encourages me that this church is um, is God's community and God is raising up leaders and equipping and sharing God's vision through lots of different con conduits. So that's really exciting. And that happened this Sunday, just a lot of really beautiful things. But um, my, my favorite moment was um, Octavia, who is our youth director and Charday, who is um, leading our children's ministry. Um, they did the blessing of the backpacks, which um, made me really happy, even though I really loved doing that. I loved that there were other people who yeah. did it this year. I loved being able, I mean, I probably should have handed it over more before. I mean, I think we've done, I don't know. Like, I just loved that. I love that moment and it's so significant. And I love that I didn't have anything to do with it. And, um, it was so beautiful to see all these children up there because I just remember all the years when there were no children in the sanctuary 
So or very few children in the sanctuary. So it's just a straight up miracle to me every time. And I will never not be encouraged by seeing how just really costly but seemingly insignificant sacrifices of so many people have produced so much. I mean, God has produced so much fruit through that, those acts of faithfulness. So that's so exciting for me. And, um, you know, Octavia prayed this beautiful prayer over them that really ministered to me as a mother. And, um, and then Charday had written this poem and it was just sort of this charge that she did in front of the kids. And it was so powerful that she was just sort of saying like, Hey, this year you may get F's. I mean, you may, yeah, you may get F's, you may work hard and get A's, you may work hard and get C's, but even so you are so loved and you may go to a private school, you may go to a charter school, you may go to a public school, you may be being homeschooled, even so you are so loved and you, you know, you may have lots of friends, you may have no friends, you, you know, you are so loved. And it was just this refrain over and over again. And then she invited, like she was a little way in and she's like, all right, church, you, you got it now. So join in me. So then the kids are sitting in front and then she would sit, do the setup. And then the whole congregation would say to the children wow. and the teachers, like, you are so loved. And just, I just am so, it was so sacred. And to think of these children walking in and some of them have already started, but walking into this new year with the affirmation of all the voices in their community that no matter what lies in front of you, no matter what lessons you learn or don't learn, you are so loved and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You can't mess it up. Like that's your intrinsic identity. And it was so, so I just was so um, I mean, sometimes I hate that we use the word astonished because it sounds like we're surprised. I'm not surprised, but I'm continually just in awe of how beautiful it is and how powerful it is and how faithful God is and how good it feels to be um, living in the middle of a community that is just radically dependent on God's faithfulness. And so it's just a really beautiful Sunday and there's just really... Um, amazingly faithful and anointed leaders in this community and I feel so honored to get to labor with them and alongside them and particularly that God has brought these um, people to pour into my kids and so yeah that's what's astonishing me. That reminds me that uh, for years uh, as I have been privileged to serve the church every once in a while uh, someone on a board or in some meeting will say something like, well, you know, the church is just a business. And that always got under my skin, right? Because the church is not a business. We, we're, not, we're not selling anything. We're not making right. anything. We exist to proclaim and live out a message, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I see in that time with your children you are living out a message. You are love. God so loved the world. And it, it really goes to the heart of why the church exists. And sometimes, I mean, we so easily get caught up in um, um, you know, a consumer mentality that says mm -hmm. we've got to produce and we've got to make something or we have something to sell. We've got to, uh, you know, have the, the greatest show on earth to, to draw people, mm -hmm. right? 
And um, yeah, there's great power in just really believing, living, and proclaiming the good news of God and Jesus. Well, I think that, I mean, what's happening, and I mean, obviously, literally, this is what we call it, is the blessing of the backpacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, but people are, people in the congregation are uncovering or recovering this power they have in Christ to bless one another. That like the congregation was blessing the children and you can be in that room and feel the power of it. And I think that it is hard to believe that you have the power to bless someone. And I know that for us, one of the last things, and it's just the greatest thing about being a pastor. I know I say that a lot, but the last thing you get to do in every worship service is a benediction, right? You get to bless the people. And I think when you start out, it's a, it's ritual, it's liturgy. And you're like, I like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't have any holiness in me like this doesn't. And then you just, again, you, you just do it because you don't know what you're doing in any way when you start out. And as you go, you realize, oh, you know, I don't have any ability to bless someone, but but God does and what is in us is not of us. And, um, and you realize, Oh, this is a sacred moment. And I mean, like I'm the shell of that and it's deeply humbling and deeply powerful. And it's just not something you can understand until you just start. I mean, to be like sort of crass about it, you just kind of have to fake it till you make it. It's never fake, but you just feel like, oh, this doesn't, this couldn't be. So I think that that's, um, yeah, it just was so beautiful. And I think like what I'm learning um, and growing into is just recognizing that deeply faithful pastoring is more and more about turning over that ability um to other people like turning over that like we only learned how to do what we do because you know we were invited slash pulled slash shoved (laughs) into these roles right but ultimately it's just the holy spirit you know god can make a donkey talk right like god works through us and so being able to say and i think this is hard in our kind of in our culture of mainline Christianity, that because we have this training, which is good, um, it's easy to slip into that consumer mentality of, okay, you pay my salary and then I do ministry for you instead of recognizing that like, no, we are coming alive in Christ. We are discovering out the call on all of our lives in all different spaces and we are mutually interdependently pulling it out of one another and uh, anyway so it it was beautiful and it was astonishing in general and particular just so grateful for um the way the lord is just growing um this church by pulling people into the sphere to use their gifts Mm. and to discover their gifts and the wisdom of a congregation that wants to give space to that, right? Because um, you you need to, I mean, obviously our, the name of our church is literally the Grove. So it needs to be a place where people can find shelter and 
support and the raw materials to grow. The way I've been putting it uh, to the saints at Dorada Church is that the Holy Spirit authorizes you. Mm -hmm. You don't need a board. You don't need me. The Holy Spirit has authorized you to be a minister in Jesus' name. So go and do it. Right. And we have to figure out what that looks like. And you're probably not going to figure out what that looks like without screwing up. Absolutely. Right. And so that's why, like, we, you know, we have some bumpers on the field. We have some boundaries. We have some, sure. you know, things to keep everyone safe. Right. But, you know, that's why I think um, understanding that uncomfortable conversations can be generative and that conflict is not to be avoided, but to be faithfully embraced because that's how we that's how we figure out who we are is by taking a step of faith and that means you you don't know you're not certain so yeah and speaking um, of children right outside the door literally you guys are um, reconstructing a new oh, yeah. nursery and yes. so if, if you hear some oh, drilling true. hammering yes. that, that's, that's what's what that happening is. That's, yes sorry. That's the, sorry the growth of the children's we're, ministry we're, we're under construction which is an exciting thing to be i'm just looking at the time though we might have to be um super short today can you tell us what you're thinking about what i'm thinking about um short rant i don't rant very often no you really don't i yes. rant a lot so short rant so every year around this time I get really irritated when I turn on the news and the local news stations give these long reports about local high school football teams. I do not like it. And I don't like it for several reasons. Number one, I think we're making these young men into celebrities and they're not ready for it. I mean, and we're like, I'm mindful of the situation with the kicker and the other players with the bills and the rape allegations. Don't know if they're true or not, but I think we're setting up these young men uh, to be in positions of, of celebrity and power and they're just not ready for it. Uh, two, I don't like it uh, because I think it uh, reinforces some racial stereotypes. Uh, mm -hmm. It it shows it that um, uh, it, it communicates that if you are a young black man, here here is the way you can advance. Right. And so it's a very limited way of advance. I'm not knocking any athlete that it, that right. comes up in life through sports, but uh, there needs to be more. The, the other reason I don't like it is because it reveals that we really don't value women's or girls sports. The amount of time we spend on boys football and boys basketball, even though we have Title IX, even though we have professional um, uh, uh, women's basketball, it is very clear that we do not value those things at all. I mean, the local stations I mean, they, they give you players' names. They give you stats. They, I mean, yeah. they go all out only for the boys' teams. And that, that is just not right. And it just irritates me every year. It's like we, we don't see it. I mean, you're not going to hear any. For me, a big issue is just knowing how deeply children's brains are affected from playing football. It's just really troubling. Um the way that we, the way that we talk about it. So I, um, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hear any arguments from me about that. And I do think it's just hard when when we only tell certain kinds of stories about certain kinds of people. And I like that game. I mean, that I know you're was a football the, fan. The game yeah. when I 
grew up, that, that was what we played all the time. But this is a problem. Well, I mean, there's just a lot of adults involved. I mean, children's sports have become an industry of adults who have businesses coaching and, mm-hmm. you know, doing um, clinics and all kinds of stuff. And that, that does make it um, super difficult. So, well, I just want to say um, that I don't watch the local news, but if I did, I would be, I would agree with you. And, um, you know, my, my middle daughter wants to play softball and, you know, her, her, um, her middle school just, they can't get a team together. And part of that is because they can't get a coach. And I, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's hard. It's chicken and egg thing, right? Because people talk about football all the time. Then there's like 45 kids who come out to play football. And when you never hear about women's sports, then little girls don't think like, oh, I want to join the softball team. I have a friend, Laura Everett, who's in Massachusetts, and she has been doing this thing on Twitter where she pulls up the Boston Globe and she's a big newspaper person. She's the, she's actually the head of the Massachusetts Council of Churches, but she is is really active on social media. And she does this thing where she pulls up the Globe, which is the Boston newspaper, and she blacks out every article about men. Wow. um, So that you can see how, how much parity there is between women's sports and men's sports. And you can, you can look at her, um, look her up, Laura Everett on, um, on Instagram and Twitter. And like, I mean, it's astonishing. Like the whole the whole section sometimes is completely blacked out because they just don't cover women's sports. So, and again, I mean, yes, I I think there's culpability in the people who are creating those products, and I also think it just shows us who we are as a as a yes. people yes. that we just don't. And I would say it's not that we don't care about women's athletics. I think it just shows how we think about the humanity of women and girls. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, we have to stop, but I want to say next week we have got to talk about debt relief and I want to talk about the Finnish prime minister. So I'm just going to put a little pen in both of those <laughs> because I want to talk about wow, it next teaser. week. Um, but thank you all so much for listening. And um, if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's church, Dorita Presbyterian, um, Yolanda's going to tell them their new, cause they have a new website. So what's new your website, new website? Dorita church dot faith life sites.com s-i-t-e-s sites and derita is d-e-r-i-t-a derita press and you can also look for their podcast and listen to yolanda's messages and you can look at their youtube channel and watch worship and you can worship with them at 11 on sunday mornings and if you want to find out more about what um, the spirit is doing at god's church the grove you can go to our website thegrovecharlotte.org you can go to our podcast um which is on itunes or wherever you get your podcast the grove church podcast look for the green tree and um, you can go to our youtube channel and look at messages and other videos and you can worship with us on <laughs> worship with like those little very high-pitched you can worship with us <laughs> 10 a.m on sunday <laughs> I clearly should have called this five minutes ago. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.